Hello, adoption adventurers. How are we all? Adventuring well? Adventuring and adventuring. Um, so, in the last couple of weeks, you've had guests, guest speakers. You've, you've had someone to dilute me. Not today. It's just me. Um, every now and then, I feel like Shadow may add her voice to the mix. She is currently sat on the arm of the chair, staring out, looking at the road trying to defend us from all would-be attackers and assailants. She looks ready, poised. So any moment now, she could add her voice to the recording. Um, but otherwise, it, it is just lowly old me. Um, I'm hoping um, that you got as much from the interviews that I've done recently as I did. I found them fascinating. I love speaking to different adopters and hearing different journeys and experiences. Um, and I, I find it really exciting to get to see different points of views, um, kind of set those standards up against our own and go, right, what, what more could we do? Um, because I think, I think within parenting, um, and I've certainly felt that it's, it's, you know, being there within sort of like the world of adoption, that question of what more can I do? How else can I be better? What, what could I do to improve? Um, so yeah, for me talking to other people, always really, really exciting. Um, and like I say, I hope that you equally got a lot from it as well, um, which is my my aim and ambition. Um, this week, I have had an email in from an adopter uh, called Sean. Hey, Sean, um, who had a request and had a topic for us to to cover, um, and I said, you know, of course. Of course we can cover this. Um, so, Sean wanted to um, speak about attachment. Now, in the very early, 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 early days of Adoption Adventures, we did a whole episode on attachment, and uh, I tried to delve into it from a non-social workery perspective to hopefully make it a little bit um, user-friendly as a subject. Um Sean wanted us to go just delve a little bit deeper and um, and sort of move into it a little bit more. Um, and what Sean was hoping to sort of learn was, and this is so Sean's Sean's words. Um, could we discuss how attachment can grow through the years and whether it can whether it can change and how it does. Um, how do you deal with um, children that have different attachment styles within the family? Um, and sort of uh, children's attachments can um, become secure. Um, they can still revert back, but how do we sort of help our children to move into the world of secure attachment? Great questions within that, great sort of great topic. So Shana has explained that she has two children um, and they each display different attachment styles. Now, one of them is displaying um, avoidant. The other 
um, Sean said it was um, anxious attachment style. Now, anxious attachment style is not one that I'd actually heard of. I've only ever heard of ambivalent, avoidant, and disorganized. Um, so Sean sort of added added some new ones to, to my mix. Now, I went on um, website, the attachment project, I believe it is called. Let me just double check, it's right here, the attachment project dot com um, and research anxious attachment now within that page it highlights that anxious attachment is similar if not the same as ambivalent attachment um, so from this what um, what sort of anxious attachment causes and symptoms um, some of the um, sort of behaviors that you might see um, would be low self-esteem, strong fear of rejection or abandonment, and clinginess in relations, relationships are common signs. Um, again, my understanding and my knowledge of ambivalent, they are very closely linked. So they might have different names and different titles, but kind of fall into the same sort of category. Um, so... The first and foremost thing that I see there is is the big challenge of if you've adopted siblings and they each have different attachment styles, they're then throwing into the mix that you have to sort of approach their attachment in different ways, um, which is obviously going to be a challenge. That being said, and I don't have siblings, I've just got little do, so this is much easier said than done, but... As a parent of siblings, naturally, you're going to parent differently. I've seen it, I've experienced it, and I've spoken to adopters about it. Because every person is different, so we all respond to different things. Um, my two nieces, um, I watched them grow. Um, one of them, the eldest, <laughs> was, it, it, she, we, we actually met the eldest, uh, Cousin C. Um, if if cousin C um, was ever in trouble and you merely raised your voice and said oh I don't think that that's a particularly nice thing that you've done and exactly how I've just said it is me raising my voice at cousin C when she was growing up if you would speak in that way and say oh I think that that was quite quite nasty what you did there or I don't think that that was a particularly nice thing that you did there this would be a devastating blow for her she would be so upset um, and so distraught that she may have displeased you and not been sort of perfect in your eyes so that that was a really effective punishment really really upset her um cousin Kay on the other hand um when when Cousin Kay was growing up, the reaction was slightly different. Um, naughty steps didn't work. <laughs> um, sending to your room. Um, a whole host of different punishment styles just weren't effective because um, Cousin Kay was fiercely and is fiercely independent. We always used to say Cousin Kay would walk their own path and they would be fine with it thank you very much if you said oh what you did there wasn't very nice i don't think that 
that was particularly good behaviour, the response would probably be like, yeah, maybe, yeah, possibly you're right. Um, I'm, I'm jesting, obviously, but the truth is you have to have different approaches. You have to approach your children in different ways and you have to um, adapt to make that suitable for our children. So removing attachment, taking that completely out of it, you've got personality traits. So naturally your approach with different personality traits would be different. Um, I know that growing up, um, now that I've learned more about attachment, I can go into more detail. But I know growing up, my brother and I, very different characters, very, very different. Um, I was a lot more outgoing, um, a lot more sort of outwardly um, sort of confident. Um, my brother was a lot more reserved, um, would take a little bit more time to get to know somebody. Um, if ever he wanted a suite or anything, he would ask me to go and ask our parents for said suite or treat. Um, I was basically his, his safety net. Um, I, I'm the younger brother, but in a lot of ways, I had to become sort of like the, the older brother. Don't get me wrong, there were many other ways when he became the big brother. Um, particularly when there was a bully at school. The big brother came out then and uh, and looked after me then, um, which was quite sweet. Um, but we were different characters. Now, as I've grown up and as I've learned about um, attachment styles, I have learned that as we were growing up, it was evident that I was ambivalent and still am. And my brother was avoidant and still is. What what we learn about, what we talk about within the world of attachment is for our children that have um, gone through trauma, their attachment, their disturbed attachment style will be there. It will be prevalent and it will be evident with their behaviours. And it is something that can help us to guide the way that we are parents. However, the other aspect that we learn is attachment is something that affects everyone. It's not just those who have suffered trauma. Everyone has an attachment style. You are, there are quizzes that you can do online, but you are asked during the process to think about attachment, think about your own attachment style. Best way to think about this, in my opinion, is to ask yourself how you behave or react when you are feeling stressed or low. When you are feeling heightened emotions, more specifically, heightened negative emotions. If you are feeling that there's a lot of stress or pressure at work, if you are having a really rubbish day, how do you behave? How do you handle that? If you've got a great deal of work on, what is it you do? I know that there's people um, that in those situations will work ever so hard to focus on any task that is not the challenging one. Um, that is demonstrating signs of avoidance. What about when you get hurt or if you're feeling unwell? Do you play that down? Do you find yourself saying, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. 
um, someone asks if they can give you a hug or check in on you or just make sure that you're okay, do you find yourself kind of pulling away a little bit? During one of the many lockdowns and COVID restrictions, when we were told cuddles are no longer required, did you silently, inwardly cheer at such a thing? If you answered yes to some of those questions, there's a good chance you are avoidant. If you find yourself craving attention, uh, if you find yourself enjoying recognition, being the centre of attention, uh, the class clown, um, someone that people will turn to and ask advice of, um, if you find that you are the type of person that when lockdown was talked about, and you were in solitude, actually, that was really difficult, and you didn't like it, and you needed to be around people, because the people in your home just aren't recognising you nearly enough. There's a good chance that you fall into the camp of ambivalent. Um, when we talk about attachment, it's got a lot of negative connotations, because we think it derives from abuse and trauma. It's heightened because of those things, but it does not derive because of those things. They've got all of these negative connotations and, and concerns, but it doesn't have to have those. There are many people that are incredibly successful, and if we actually look at their behaviours, we could say their attachment has led to their success you need to be able to see that. You need to be able to see that these are strengths, not weaknesses. Um, so when you're in a home and you have children that have different attachment styles, you need to be adapting. But you need to do that for all of their behaviours and all of their personality traits. So I, I would say, like I say, you know, easier said than done, but I wouldn't allow that, or I would try to work from that not being a vocal point for you in as much as, right, they've got two different attachment styles, how do I deal with both? I would actually, in my opinion, I think what you need to do is you just look at the whole the whole package, the whole sort of approach to behaviours um, and support that you put in place. I think it's really important, me as an ambivalent person, it's really important that I have avoidance in my life, that I have people that actually rein me in and don't meet my needs all the time. Because that is what life looks like. Um, same as avoidance, those that, who are avoidant, they need to be taken out of their comfort zone. They need to be put into a position whereby they have to be a bit more ambivalent. It's not cruelty. It's not bullying. It's just you need to sort of build their own resilience and realize that yes it's okay to be avoidant yes it's okay to be ambivalent but every now and then for me as an ambivalent i need to let somebody else be the head of the class i need to let somebody else be the lead voice in the room i need to just be quiet from time to time and that's all right but i've had to learn to do that um, for the question of um, can can things change? Can we help? Can we sort of help 
alter behaviors and change behaviors and and help our children to become more securely attached a hundred percent yes a hundred percent yes um now what i would say is you have attachment sort of cycles um and you have sort of age ranges when things will change and have to change for our children. It takes them time to sort of adjust. Um, now, there's a number of different sort of approaches to this. One approach is that a child needs to be with you for the longest amount of time that they've been anywhere before they're going to feel really settled. By that I mean little dude lived with birth family for three and a half years, lived with um, his foster family for three and a half years. He needed to live with us for longer than three and a half years before he could genuinely feel like he could settle. Okay. Um, it, that's not an exact science. But it's a good little uh, sort of guide. Okay. When we come back to sort of attachment and them looking at other sort of um, age brackets and stuff like that, what we can see is it takes up to three years for our children to develop um, sort of strong, secure attachment. And there are brackets, age categories, okay? Um, now, when we're looking at attachment, you would talk about the age categories of a newborn baby um, and those months. So I'm gonna do it in that those brackets. So naught to six months, um, child is going to show a preference for one person, but they're going to accept care from everyone. Um, so they might have their favorite um, it's usually in all to six months. It's usually the mother who is um, feeding and nursing. Um, they've got that that bond, that attachment. That being said, during that six month period, that child needs to accept food, need, needs to survive. So we'll basically accept food and care from anyone. Um, between seven to ten months old, the child is then going to develop a specific attachment to one or more people. So one or two parents. This is generally that phase. If you ever think about time when you've spent with newborn babies, when they get to that phase whereby um, you go to pick them up and they scream blue murder um, and you try to feed them, change them, or do all of those nice cute things, nothing happens. And then all of a sudden the mum picks up the baby and then all of the crying subsides and they do exactly what you've already done and you feel quite rubbish. Um, then 10 months to 18 months, um, that's when the attachment is going to get more intense. Um, so this is when their distress um, genuinely can only be sort of alleviated by one maybe two people, a small, a tiny group of people that are trusted by this child. So all that you've just been feeling at seven to 10 months where you're starting to lose touch with this child and they're not allowing you to offer care. Now that's massive. 
Um, if you are not in that center circle of trust, you're definitely not going to alleviate any of their stress. We then move up to 18 to 30 months. This is when a securely attached child is able to start exploring the world, start moving around and accessing the world around them. Um, they're still they're still really fixed on that um, sort of attachment circle and the people close to them, but they will be exploring more. This is kind of when they'll start to explore the world and if something stresses them out, worries them, concerns them, if a new person walks into the room, they're likely to go back to their secure place and just touch base and make sure they're safe. Then we move up to like I say, the three-year mark, and this is when attachment is strong, the dependence is decreasing, and the child's able to cope with short separations from, from the main sort of carers. What we say is in the world of adoption, the counter goes back to zero. Um, so as soon as little dude moved in with us, we were back to that naught to six month period. And we went back through those three years of the attachment cycles. Um, so it feels weird when like little dude was seven. So it felt really weird when he was sort of eight years old, when he was really, really focused intense focus on me I couldn't leave the room without without him sort of following me asking me where I was going and, and what was happening um, at those moments again uh, we've talked about this before but that's when secondary carers kind of get pushed out a little bit and, and feel a little bit dejected because primary carers are still the ones that are taking over a lot of that I remember asking the exact same question that Sean asked um, in the early days of our journey. You know, I'm looking at the trauma, I'm looking at brain development, I'm looking at all of the all of the negatives, all of the things that I'm told that our, our son won't be able to do or will struggle with. And I asked the question of, you know, can we make a difference? Um, I remember talking to, she was so lovely, um, her name's Marie. Um, we used to do training together. Um, a lovely Irish lady. She had adopted. She was one of ten, and she had adopted four children. I think it was. It was years ago that we worked together, so I've probably got the numbers wrong um, on how many she adopted. But she she had a big family, and it was lovely hearing her journey. But we were on a particular training. And we learned um, that they had done a lot of development um, with sort of brain development and brain, brain science and understanding. Uh, you have your right side of the brain and left side of the brain. Now, those of you that know more about this stuff, please excuse me. I am not a neuroscientist, so I'm going to get things wrong. But you've got your right and left hemispheres. One of them, <laughs> one of the hemispheres is your educational, one of the hemispheres is your emotional, okay? Please don't 
ask me which one is which, it really doesn't matter, okay? It matters to brain scientists, it doesn't matter to you and I. What happens is within these hemispheres, you have a um, sort of a, a connecting tube for those two hemispheres. And within those, the neurons fire off and they pass the messages from left to right and back and forth. So this is when you reach sort of any sort of struggle situation circumstance, those two sides of the brain are communicating with one another. What they had done, uh, they, the optimum they, uh, brain scientists had been able to do is they took a number of um, brain scans and they assessed the brains for a whole host of children and young people. Um, and what they identified was the channel that goes between the left and right hemisphere called the corpus callosum um, for children that had um, suffered trauma and abuse that channel that tube was thinner okay which meant it was harder for those messages to go from left to right it took longer and sometimes messages didn't quite get through they then said that boys who had suffered neglect and girls who had suffered sexual abuse, their corpus callosums were even thinner. Um, when I learned this, I asked the question, I said, well, okay, well, if it's, if it's thinner, and if this is part of the brain makeup, is there actually anything I'm gonna be able to do? Can I actually help here? Um, and this is when Marie um, sort of, spoke to me and, and said all of the research demonstrates that the more time, love, care and affection that we put into our children's lives, the stronger those pathways become, the stronger those neurons are at firing off and starting new pathways in the brain to realign and re-educate the brain that it's going to be okay. So what she was essentially saying in non-brain scientist terms is if you put that time in, if you put the love, care and attention in for our children, actually we can expand the corpus callosum and we can get their brains back on track, as it were, to where they need to be. Now, I am fully aware that there will be some of you that are listening um, that have got children that have been exposed to um, FASD um, and there are other sort of neurological um, illnesses or difficulties that will make that harder. I'm, I'm not naive to that. But as we heard when I interviewed the um, Ali from um, FASD Hub in Scotland, putting support in place, identifying these things, it does make a difference. Just having that formal diagnosis, it doesn't, it's, it's not a sort of, a, that's it, we've tried our best situation. It's okay, yes, this is the diagnosis, now we need to work with it. And we need to sort of push, push those boundaries and we need to believe that we can make a difference. Um, I know that that is definitely how we feel. We can make a difference with Little Dude. We can, we can grow his corpus callosum and we can help those messages get from left to right. 
And we have seen it. We've seen it over the years. I've seen how academically it's so, so bright, but emotionally and like sort of socially, he really struggled. And I would, I would be baffled, baffled, thinking, well, hold on, why, why can't you make these two connections? Why can't you work this out? It's obviously all of these brain, brain scientists being right. Now he's getting there and he's doing really well. I'm not saying that any of you would ever think about this, but it's just about not giving up. It's about continuing on and pushing forward. As for Little Lude, when he moved in with us, um, he exhibited huge, huge um, sort of signs and behaviours of an avoidant attachment style. Um, his background and experiences, it, it all sort of add, added up and made sense. Um, and we, we fully understood where we were at and why. Um, but we've worked with him. We've talked to him about it. We talk openly about his attachment style and his attachment behaviours. We talk about how we're going to challenge it. We talk about how dad is avoidant and I am ambivalent. And we talk about how we need to change our behaviours to help that. We are really open with that. Uh, dad being avoidant has made a huge effort to speak openly with little dude and say look when this sort of situation happens i really struggle i really struggle because to be honest with you i just don't want to do it it just makes me uncomfortable so he's being really good at kind of putting words down for little dude to understand about why why does he behave the way that he does, which again helps little do to understand why he behaves the way that he does. Okay. So be open, be honest, be yourself, but not giving up. Would I say that little dude now exhibits a secure attachment? Yes. Yes, I would. Does he still have traits of avoidance? Yes. He also has now picked up some ambivalence, which I am uh, I'm taking full credit for. Um, but he's now securely attached. He is now, 90% of the time, he will operate and act just like little dude that's what he acts like that is who he is are there times when we see his avoidance playing a part in in his activity and his behavior sure of course there is but the same could be said for dad or i it's just part of his makeup part of his behaviors and if we can accept that it's always going to be there but it's not going to be a prominent factor kind of makes it a lot easier. Um, so Sean, can, can we help our children? Absolutely. Yes, we can. 
Um, how do we help them? Love them. <laughs> Be there for them. Talk to them about attachment. And play the guessing wondering game. Um, so for avoidance, you know, when little dude used to hurt himself and he would say, no, 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 I'll, I do that, I do that, I'll fix it myself. It, it doesn't matter, it hasn't hurt. We would then find it later and say, oh, no, I, I saw you fall over and, and knock your knee. I'm, I'm guessing that hurt, but I'm also guessing that you wouldn't always have had someone to take care of you when you got hurt. That's actually my job, and I'd like to look after you, because in this house, we look after hurts. Same for avoidance. Uh, for ambivalence, you know, I can see that you're, you know, you're trying to get attention and you're worried that you're not getting my attention. And I'm guessing that that must have been quite scary for you when you was in situations where you didn't know what kind of parent you was going to have. And you didn't know how to behave, so you, you kind of just made a made a big point of being there. And that must have been really, really scary for you to have to work so hard to get that attention. But I can see you. Okay. They sound like simple things, I guess, but actually it's those simple things that are what I consider to be the wins. We can we can help our kids just by simply being there and understanding that they're going to struggle um, and that sometimes their attachment behaviour may not be <laughs> particularly easy to, to deal with and to manage and to think about. But it's okay. They will get there. They will pull through. And they will get to the point where they are secure like I said it can take three years for our children to start feeling secure but if you constantly when a child moves in with you if you constantly think newborn newborn child what would my expectations be we wouldn't expect a 10 month old child to be free and independent in the world, accept love from absolutely everyone and not have a care in the world. Therefore, we shouldn't expect it of our children if they've only lived with us for 10 months. You are still a stranger. You're still an unknown entity to them. And it's still to them unknown whether you're going to be there next month. Doesn't matter if you promised that you were, They've had tall people promise them all kinds of things. Give them time. Give them your time. And they will become more and more secure. So that's it from me. Um, I'm hoping that that has been an interesting one. I'm hoping that I've not upset any <laughs> neuro scientific biologist people <laughs> um if obviously if i've gone 
wrong with any of the facts or information there. I'm hoping that it's clear. I've only done that from a place of, of love. Um, I'm hoping that what I'm sort of saying is helpful. Um, and it's just based on what I've learned over the years. So, yeah, um, I'm hoping that it helps you along your journey. So that is it from me. Um, I'm hoping that's been all good. Um, and I shall look forward to speaking to you next week. Ta-ra!